you know, I'm, I feel a little intimidated around here. You know, the, all these electronics and technology and drones flying around, you know. I, I'm, I'm just a simple country preacher, you know, and uh, we just got air conditioning, you know. So, I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know what this is. So, wow. Um, Pastor uh, Tony and, and the First Lady, we're so just blessed to have, uh, to be invited to be a part of this. And uh, what a beautiful church. What a beautiful camp meeting. I think it's one of the finest in the country. I mean that. And um, I, uh, I don't know, I hope you don't take this for granted, what you have here. Because I get into a lot of places, I go to a lot of camp meetings, churches, and uh, there is uh, not just that your talent and your giftedness here, I'm talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that's beautiful. And what a privilege for me to be a part of this here. Uh, brother, I think it's been 20 plus years since you invited me here, and I, now listen, you have been here, I was thinking, I don't know that. Uh, my wife, Linda, is here with me, and for so many years I traveled. She stayed home with the six children, and uh, so it's what a blessing now to have her traveling with us. But um, I think it was 20 plus years ago. You've been here how long, 35 or years? 35 years, okay. Now, I've been in the same church for 25 years, and uh, I started preaching uh, actually 45 years ago. And um, now, Tony, I know that you're older than I am, quite a bit older than I am. I, no, I'm just kidding. Somebody say praise the Lord. Wouldn't you rather be here than in a dentist chair getting a root canal? Boy, I'll tell you what, the, you, ought, you and I ought to be the most uh, energetic and excited and spirit-filled people. Think of what we have. We are we're going to the, the, the land of, of no mores. Do you know the Bible says there'll be no more crying? No more handkerchiefs, no more arthritis, no more wrinkles, no more cancer, no more asthma, no more Democrats, <laughs> no more Republicans. <laughs> we're going to a land where no more devil and we're going to live with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. Now I think that's something to get excited about. I want you to turn, if you will, in your Bibles tonight to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Someday I'm going to go to heaven and that new glorified body, I'm going to sing like some of you have been gifted and able to sing. I'm also going to have a body that's six foot five. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful to be here in the company of those who love you and are hungry and desire more. We welcome you to direct the words that will be spoken tonight. Lord, we pray that you open up our understanding. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we will not hear my voice, but the second voice, the voice of the Spirit tonight. And we yield over to your 
your commanding lead and influence and we step aside and may the agenda of heaven be established tonight and Lord speak to us in such a way that we'll leave from here knowing that we've heard, we've heard from heaven tonight in Jesus name amen we live in an hour of great uncertainty probably never an hour like this at least in this country we don't know what's going to happen there's political unrest, there's moral uncertainty. We're living in such an hour of wickedness and violence and evil than a cultural realm, but I'm speaking in, in the sense of, of the professing church that there's such an erosion and such compromise. It's an hour of such uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen on tomorrow. But in the midst of the darkness, I'd have to say that not only is it an hour of great uncertainty, I would also say that it's an hour of great opportunity. Because in the darkness, you and I have opportunity to let the light of Jesus shine. We can be the church triumphant and we can seize the moment. It's harvest time. It's time for you and I to seize this moment and to recognize that as doom and gloom as much of doom and gloom that's all around us we've got the message of Jesus Christ in the advancing of the kingdom of God an hour of uncertainty but an hour of opportunity but unfortunately it's an hour of mediocrity and this is the concern of this day I'm talking about those who profess to be Christians I'm talking about those who would profess to be a part of the church which there is a, la a loss of passion for Christ. There is a, there's an absence of, of fire. It's as if we are content, we're comfortable where we're at. A lukewarm epidemic seems to prevail and there is a wandering in the wilderness. But, but you know, you're well aware that across this country, we, are, we have churches with big screens and skinny jeans and fog machines, but there's no witness of the Holy Spirit. We live in a day in which preachers who used to be reformers are but now performers. There's an entertainment mentality of which we're doing, using all the gimmicks and tactics and maneuvers of trying to capture the attention of the crowd. But in getting the, the, the crowds to come, we've lowered the standard and we've tried to make people comfortable in their sin. I was reading today in 2 Chronicles, and you don't have to turn there, but you'll be familiar with this, because it's amazing throughout the Old Testament how many times it's, there's a reference to how one king would rise up and fall, and the next one was more wicked than the pre its predecessor. How, how the moral landslide, in fact, the Bible said God brought Israel low because of moral decline and being continually unfaithful to the Lord, provoking God's anger. And that was true of Israel, the people whom he had chosen. But I'm looking at in the context of you and I being the new Israel. I'm thinking about it in the, in the backdrop of the state. If that was true, back then how much more is it true today that we're living in a nation 
that has blasphemed God, that has disregarded his moral codes and who's living their life calling evil good and good evil, of which we have redefined who God is by bringing God down to our level. And we are living in a day of which we, I believe, are provoking God's anger. But I'm not talking so much about the culture that we live in as much as I'm talking about the state of the church. Because in reality, I think tonight the church, at least the professing church, is guilty. We're guilty of surrendering, of compromising. We're, we're guilty of, of horrendous sins right within the walls of, of that which we call the church. I picked up today a book. Linda and I went to um, an antique shop. And, I, and, and I, I have to be honest with you, that's probably the last place in the world I want to be. But as she was looking through, I found a book there, a little book from the United Presbyterian Church, North America, 1923. I opened it up and I read because it had several of their positions. And I thought to myself, 1920, the Presbyterian Church declared that the word, the Holy Scriptures as the word of God, infallible, inerrant, not written by man, but written by God. I, I, I read in there about their standard or their understanding of marriage between a man and a woman, that it's permanent. I, I read about their, their position about the life of, of living a life of holiness, of, of forsaking sin, I, their, their position on prayer and, and, and who Jesus Christ is and, and, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And I was reading through that and I thought to myself, I, I couldn't hardly believe it because what it really uncovered for me is how much erosion has occurred. You see, I know because I was in the Presbyterian church as a boy. And now a church that embraces homosexuality and, and the, the gender confusion and, 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 and who do, they certainly do not believe that the Bible is the word of God, that there's much of it that's just simply written by man. But the perversion and the wickedness and the evil, they cannot even be described as a church. But it's trickled down. It's, it's easy for many to say, but, but you know, that's, that's them. But, but I'm telling you that I've watched this happen within the ranks of the churches that I'm a part of. A total abandonment, a total forsaking of truth, a questioning of the authority of God's word, a willingness to visit about the discussions about same-sex marriage, a, a, an absolute unwillingness to defend the life of the unborn. And I think to myself, how is it possible that we could come to the place that we're actually discussing these kind of items or this, these kind of uh, lifestyles and there's even any, any room for debate about them? Right. 
And I want to share tonight that you and I have an opportunity. And we cannot seize this moment. There is a move of the Holy Spirit. And I believe there will be a remnant church that will rise to the occasion. Amen. That God is, is crying out as he did to Israel. That there would be a remnant of his people that will rise up and will forsake lukewarmness in apathy and in and, and a, and a casual Christianity and are willing to become passionate, radical followers of Jesus, totally abandoned to the commission of Jesus Christ. Jonah represents, in my estimation, what's happening with many professing Christians. In Jonah chapter 1, in the first verse, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, we don't know how it came to Jonah. It may have, it may have been in the form of a vision. It may have been a dream. It, it may have been an angelic visitation. It, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. It was without question a direct word from heaven. Now that word there... Maybe we know there's the word logos and then there's the word rhema. And, but, and, and we know that when we read the scriptures that, that it is inspired and that every verse has, an, has a, uh, there's a meaning. There's, there's one meaning, but there are many applications. But the word of God comes to Jonah in a manner of which he could not dispute it. He didn't have to question what it was that was laid upon his heart. He didn't have to for a moment fumble around and try to strain at what God's instructions. He knew what God's word was. It was crystal clear. I would say to you and I, we're without excuse tonight. We know what God is calling us to do. There's no debate about truth and what the Bible's clear message is. There's no question about the mandate and the commission, the great commission. We're without excuse. There, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and how that nation, those, those cities came down. And consider the fact what we have in America. We have churches on every corner. We have Bibles galore. We have electronic versions of the Bible. We have every imaginable broadcasting available resource about the word of God and about Christianity and yet there's never been an hour of which we have drift, drifted further away from truth. The word of the Lord came to him and said I want you to go to Nineveh that great city and I want you to cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. I like that, the first part of that verse, but Jonah. It really is the buts that get into our, in, us into trouble, isn't it? It's the fact that he knew what he was supposed to do. It was crystal clear. There was no, no, no fuzziness about it, but Jonah. That is, at that moment, he shifted gears and he made a conscious choice and decision. And as an act of his own personal will, he dis, dismissed God's word and he chose to go and do his own thing. Go to Nineveh and cry out, against their wickedness, but Jonah, verse 3, arose 
and he fled from the presence of God. You know, Jonah had experienced the presence of God. And I'm telling you, you can have experienced your experiences of yesterday, your encounters of yesterday, the testimonies of what God has done in your life in the past. It's not sufficient for tomorrow. It's not that Jonah had not experienced the revelations of God. It's not that he had not felt the manifest presence of God, that the glory had been around him. He knew that. He had partnered with God. He had participated in it. But in this occasion, he chose to ditch God and do his own thing. He fled from the presence of God. I feel as though we're living in a day in which much of Christianity is fleeing from God. We know what God's calling us to do. We understand biblical authority. We understand what the Bible has to say about moral absolutes. We understand what the scriptures has to say about our conduct and our actions. And yet there is a conscious decision by many individuals as if they are ripping out pages of the Bible and saying, that doesn't apply to me and that doesn't apply to me and that's outdated and that's not what it meant. And it's as if we're rewriting the word of God. But God, as Jonah, but Jonah, who fled from the presence of the Lord, and it says, but the Lord sent out a great wind to the sea. But God sent a wind. But Jonah fled from the presence of God. But God sent a wind. You know, the wonderful thing about God is that he's not going to give up on you. You can be ornery, you can be stubborn, you can be belligerent, you can, you can, you can be hardened, you can, you, can, you, can, you can abandon God, you can engage in every gross and immoral sin, you can, you can participate in every perverted thing. I want you to know that God is out to get you. And aren't you glad he hasn't given up on you? Because I have to believe there's a few of you in this place that after you'd given your heart to Christ, you tripped and stumbled and you fell a couple times. And I'll bet you're thankful for the mercy of God. You like Jonah who, this storm's coming, but what did he do? The Bible tells us that he went down into the lower depths of that ship and he went to sleep. Now how do you do that? How do you go into a storm that those sailors who were familiar with those storms were threatened to such an extent that they knew this was no ordinary storm and they feared for their lives and yet Jonah fled from the presence of God, went down in the lower depths, pulled the blanket over his eyes and went to sleep. Because it's a picture so often of many professing Christians who are running from God. You might be one of them tonight. You're running from God. God has spoken to you, and you know that he's spoken to you. You have heard his voice. He has changed your life. He has touched you. He rescued you. He redeemed you. He broke the curse. He lifted you up out of the miry clay. You know that who God is. You know who Jesus is. But somehow, over the process of time, your heart has gotten hardened. There are things that you are facing. There's conflict in your life. There's a storm that's raging. And yet you're going to the lower depths to escape. And you're going to sleep spiritually to get away from. 
But God sent a wind. Like the wind that the disciples were in the boat. And Jesus this time is taking the nap. And that boat is rocking back and forth. And they are threatened. You may be experiencing that tonight. And Jonah, though, was running from God. He did not want to do what God was calling him to do. He, want, he wanted to get as far away from... He did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to preach against that city. He did not want to declare their wickedness and call for repentance. He did not want to be there. And that terror of the night, they all cried out to their gods. But Jonah was fast asleep. And they take Jonah, and Jonah says, throw me overboard, and it will, this storm will cease. Have you ever thought why Jonah would make such an offer? I mean, you have to be pretty low. You've got to be pretty miserable. You have to be to a certain state to where you don't want to live anymore. He's going to be thrown overboard, not because he thinks that he's going to just, hey, swim the shore. He's really believing that's the ultimate escape. He can sleep, but he'll wake up again. But if they'll throw him overboard, there's no chance that he's going to survive and he can get out of this mess. And there's someone here tonight that you've thought about that, haven't you? You've thought about taking your life. You've pondered it. You've considered it. you You've thought about the misery that you're in right now, the, 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 the suffering that's going on, the, the loneliness that you've experienced. You have considered taking your life. You may have even tried it. And Jonah was thinking that's what would happen to him. And they threw him over door, over, overboard. But lo and behold, as I've said before, God doesn't give up. God is persistent. God's, God's love is indescribable. God's, God's amazing grace. He pursues us. He chases after us. When we're trying to get away from God, God is after us not to destroy us, but to change us. He gets thrown overboard, and lo and behold, what happens? But a big old fish comes and swallows him up. Oh, I know there's some of you tonight saying, but is that real? Did that really happen? Can I tell you that if it didn't happen, then Jesus is a liar. For Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, I believe in a great big God that can do anything he wants to do. And that old big fish saw that juicy old flesh there in the water and his appetite was raging and he went and he opened up and swallowed that man and into the gut of the fish he went. No more running, no more attack. He couldn't get away from it now. Can you imagine what the state must have been in that putrid environment? All the stomach acids, all of all the foul odors, everything working, gushing, moving, seaweed, all the things that had been previously, all the decay, everything that's going on, and he's there sitting in that mess. I read an article that talks about the, the, digest, the digestive gases and juices would have 
if a man were to get into one of those big fish, would actually begin eating away at the flesh. Then no doubt he had lost his hair, his flesh had turned white. That, that, that in that, that moment, it, that the time that he was in there, that no doubt he, he was going through the process of, of that uh, digestive journey. You know, there are times that, that God allows us to get in situations that we would like to get out of. Ugly situations, stinking situations, decaying moments, things that we just, we can't do anything about. But it's in those moments when we come to our ultimate end, when there is nowhere else we can turn, when there's nobody else that can help us, when it feels as though we have been abandoned to ourselves. It's at that moment that like Jonah, we have nothing to do but to consider what our inner state is, the condition of our heart. It's at that moment that the meditations of our heart come alive and we reflect and we reflect back in our lives and back in our experiences and in that ugliness we recognize our desperate need for God. And chapter 2 is nothing but a long prayer because it says then Jonah prayed. Haven't you been there where you just didn't want to pray? Didn't feel like praying? Didn't care? But there comes a moment in which you awaken. Comes a moment when you come to your senses. There's a, a moment and, and, and you realize that, hey, I've got to do something about that. And so Jonah cries out to God. And just honest confessions we read about in chapter 2. Acknowledging God's goodness and God's grace. And all of a sudden that fish gets... A tummy ache, and he throws him up right on shore. Been quite a sight, wouldn't it, have said, to have looked upon that pitiful man? Some of us didn't look too good after we had rebelled, after we had backslidden, after we'd run from God. Some of us maybe got a little contaminated by the world, and we came back, and, and, and we didn't look too good, but of uh, but God. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the power of God, that he can take a messed up man and a messed up woman and turn their life around. In chapter 3, now the word of the Lord came a second time. You know what? I believe in second chances. <laughs> I believe in the second chance. And he hears the word of the Lord. What's the Bible say? So Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. You know, some lesson, the lesson that I've learned through many failures is the fact that stop fighting, stop arguing, stop debating with God. When God lays upon your heart to do something, instantly obey him. Just do it. Trust and obey. And he preached. In fact, his message was, he entered the city, and he walks through the city, and he cried out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's not a very popular message, is it? To cry out and say, hey, you, you are a wicked Nineveh. You are a sinful nation. You, you are morally corrupt. You are, you are far from God. Judgment is coming. 
That's not a very attractive message in this day. In fact, I would say to you, the majority of churches and pastors are avoiding talking about those things. We don't want to talk about judgment. We don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about specific sins. We just like to just stay neutral. I think it's, un, un, it's, it's absolutely appalling that in this day, I listen to several live or recorded streams of services after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And you know, of going through 20 or 30 of them, I never heard one of them make mention of that. And I don't understand that. And, and I don't understand if you're trying to defend Abortion. In 1973, when that abortion was ruled the law of the land, did you know there wasn't one mainline church that supported it? How is it possible that we could come to the place that the church is silent, that preachers aren't addressing it. How is it possible that 68 million babies have been murdered who have been sacrificed on the altar of convenience and the church is mute and hasn't said anything about it and we aren't celebrating the fact that God is moving and that there's been an overturn of something that has hovered as a curse over this nation for 49 years? Amen. Because we don't want to preach the hard word. We don't want to preach the message. How is it that we're not addressing the subject of same-sex marriage? <laughs> when people say, well, you don't understand my struggle. This is the way I was born. Why don't we say that when it comes to a man who's, who's been engaging in adultery? Why don't we say, hey, listen, you, 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 know, what, you understand my struggle with adultery and running around with all these women and everything. We don't give him that kind of license. But the reason is because we've compromised. We don't, want to, we don't want to offend. We want the crowds. We don't want to take any chances. And I'm saying to you that the Bible is crystal clear. Don't tell me that Jesus didn't say anything about same-sex marriage. He said plenty about it when he, he gave us a definition of what marriage is. And he took us back to Genesis chapter 3. And he says that as a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He defined it as a marriage between a man and a woman. What's going on in all the gender confusion that we're trying to somehow in the stupidity of this culture we're having any kind of compassion with those who are suggesting there may be 100 or 200 different genders? Now I'm not real smart but at least I'm aware of what the Bible has to say about a man and a woman. You see, we're living in a day where we're comfortable with big screens, skinny jeans, and fog machines. And we're going to have to become the light in the darkness. And I'm not talking about going out there and just beating up people and being offensive. What I am saying is that the church hall, first and foremost, has to have a message that's crystal clear. That we do not apologize what the Bible has to say. And we have to call out what is right and what is wrong. 
we have to make it clear to people that if you die in your sins, you will, be, you will live eternally separated from God. We're going to have to make it clear that we have to separate and come out from our sins. We have to turn and repent of our sins. And without Christ, we're doomed. There is a sloppy grace in this day of which it's as if you, could, you come to Jesus and you can live and do anything that you want to do. No, the fact is, is that you and I have to be, we have to be broken over our sins. We have to be willing to die to our sins. We have to deny self, take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that means whatever sin we're struggling in our life, we forsake it and we surrender completely to Christ. Amen. And if we will, we will experience, I believe, a spiritual awakening because this generation is ready for truth. I don't care what you're listening to on the media. I don't care what the television newsmen are saying. I, I don't care what you, the twisted media is trying to portray to you. I'm telling you that there is a hunger in America. And if you and I are willing to stand on the, on the side of light, if you and I are willing to be bold in proclaiming Jesus, I'm telling you that in my 45 years of ministry, I have never lived in a day when there's more receptiveness to the message of Christ. We're watching more people come to Jesus today than I have ever in my life. And it's done through a, the clear gospel message, and it's happening by just telling people, listen, come out from your sins. Give your life to Jesus. He can change your life. He can, he can, to re, he can revoke the darkness and replace it with light. He can make, turn you around and set your feet on a solid ground. He, Jesus, can. He's got the power to deliver you from the curse. He's more powerful than all the forces of darkness. Give your life to Christ. One of my pastor's staff, who's on staff, had a daughter that sunk deep into sin. At a rather long period of time, she ran away from God, ran away from her upbringing. She ended up getting involved with lesbianism. This went on for years. And, and, and this family prayed and prayed for her. They loved her, but they didn't compromise. They didn't try to coddle her and suggesting, hey, that's all right. It's your choice. You know, whatever you want to do is okay. You can still be a Christian and do that. They didn't do that. They prayed. They loved her. But they were firm. They were definite about their conviction. And they prayed for years. And she came over to their house about a year ago. And she, because of the prompting of the Spirit, I believe through those prayers, said, she said to her dad, could we watch the stream of the service this morning from your church? And so he said yes, and so they began to watch it. And tears began to go down her eyes, her cheeks. And she said, Dad, she said, I, I, think, I'm, I, think, I think I'm having a heart attack. 
And he says, why? He said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, my a pain is in here. It's so heavy right now, and, and I'm, I'm shaking, and, and I'm hot. He said, I don't think you are. Watching longer, and, and she said, Dad, I'm really, I'm really am. I'm having a heart. You need to call 911 right now. And he said, I, I, you're not having a heart attack. She said, I think, I think this is God. She sat there and felt the heat of God's presence move from the top of her head through her whole body. She had crippling arthritis to where she was about to lose her job and she had uh, two lumps identified on her breast as malignant and as she's sitting there, she suddenly comes under the power of God. And she's, the swelling and the thickness in her joints and her hands began to dissipate and go away. And she, she said, look, look, Dad, look, Dad, I've not been able to do this in, in two or three years. And she began to move around. She felt, and even those lumps began to disappear. And in that holy moment, this lady, this daughter, gave her life to Jesus Christ. It says, if the glory came down and heaven filled that room, that's what I'm talking about is that you and I are carriers of the glory, that we're walking so close to Jesus that every step we take, we are changing and charging the atmosphere. And that service streamed hours later, channeled through the lines into that home, carried the very fragrance of heaven, and faith was ignited. And a woman who was lost in sin was set free, delivered, and the glory changed her life. She has a cat. If you think, now this you're going to think, you'll tag me as being extremely peculiar now. She has a cat, eight years old, that she had taken from the rescue whose back hips had been broken because they'd been run over. For eight years, that cat would walk a step and drag his legs. And as they were sitting there that afternoon after this experience with God, my Pastor on staff verified it and said, we watched that cat. And suddenly she said, look at, look at, look at dad. And the cat was walking across the floor. Later that evening, that cat went up the stairs where she had, she had never been before. And the next day, the cat was jumping on the bed. But that's just like God. That little confirmation, that little definition that, that God's glory shows up and he's interested in every part of your life. And that was just like a stamp of blessing that God poured out. And now here we are, a year later, and every single morning, that father and mother and that daughter, they have a Zoom call and they're reading through the Bible at 6 o'clock in the morning. It has now grown to another sister joining them and two nieces. And now the brother of my staff member is joining as well it is a movement of God that is spreading because it's the glory of God I want to see houses on fire with the glory of God 
I want people coming into my home and sitting there and coming under masterful surgery by God, coming under the conviction of the Spirit, where their lives are being rearranged, where miracles are happening because God is activated in that atmosphere. It's about a young man, his name's Jacob. He played football with my son, Sam, and, 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 and as they were playing, Jacob knows nothing about God. In fact, they, in, after a game, they were traveling on the bus, and some of the football players thought they would be cute if they pulled out their porn and tried to introduce uh, Sam to it. And Jacob was really amazed that Sam got up and went to the front of the bus and sat with the coach. That spoke to him. But that little seed, Sam, just being consistent, Sam, carrier of the glory, Sam, who loved Jacob and befriended him and spent time with him and invited him over to our house and then invited him to church and something started working on the inside of Jacob, a, a kid whose life was messed up, drugs and, and all kinds of uh, addictions and lust, all kinds of things going on. And he came to church and in the presence of the glory... God visits him and he comes under conviction and he just is broken and he's weeping and he's crying out to God for forgiveness and his life is radically transformed in a moment's time. On the next Sunday, we're baptizing 20 of them and he's in that group. And I baptized him. And as we're coming down and everybody's worshiping, they, they were singing a song. Now, this is what I'm talking about. There's a reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. You know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because he knew that as he preached the hard message and said, repent, judgment is coming in 40 days. This city's coming. He knew that God is merciful, that God is kind. He knew that they probably would repent, get right with God, and then the word he was preaching did come to pass. And all that would follow that. And I'm saying to you, yes, when you and I minister to the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the sexual perverts, when we minister to those that our lives are messed up, you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to have to get dirty. And Jacob had been touched by the presence of God and we're singing a song that says he, he picked me up and he turned me around and he set my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. And as we're singing that chorus, I didn't notice it because he's on the other side. But he did that. He just, uh, he, he got up and he jumped and he whirled around. And then he started to whirl across the, the, the sanctuary and he, he was dancing all the way around as we're singing that. I don't even know this is going on yet. And he comes around to where I'm sitting and he says to me, dance with me, pastor, dance with me. And I don't know how to dance. I'm not even a great leaper. 
But I couldn't miss the moment of a young man whose life had been rattled and battered in sin, who had been liberated by the power of Jesus, who was in that moment expressing the dance to Jesus, who knew now the difference between darkness and light, whose life had been rearranged, and I couldn't help but to join with him. And I began to twirl and dance, and I look around, and I saw all the youth coming up and twirling and dancing, and I saw older people like my wife Linda she started dancing and all the all the people began to move why because we had a visitation from heaven and this kid whose life was messed up had come to Jesus and we were celebrating his breakthrough It's just like the crippled man in Acts chapter 3, of which silver and gold have I none, but such as I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that man was crippled, got up, and he began, the Bible says he went leaping and jumping and praising God. Is there anything wrong when we see, I'll tell you, we need that kind of fire in some of us that have been saved a long time. We've lost the passion. We've lost the fire. We've lost the connection with where we once were and who we are in Jesus Christ. At our tent meetings that we are hosting, that I'm doing just for youth, and we pitch a tent, big tent in the county. We just completed one with 135 kids coming to Jesus. And we had one that the juvenile home was bringing their boys in. Tough kids, hard kids, callous kids. And they began mingling with our kids. Playing the games, first of all, outdoors and building relationships. And then they came in and we began to worship. And, and then the message was proclaimed. And we watched those hardened kids come under the power of the Holy Spirit. And their, that hardness broke. On one of the nights, the last night, the women from the juvenile came. One of those ladies, one of those young girls, teenagers, was there because she attempted, she tried to murder her mother and father. She had an officer with her. She came on the grounds, and as we're spending time fellowshipping and playing some games, she, came, she went to one of the pastors and said, what is this? And my, my youth pastor said, what is what? And she said, what is this I'm feeling? He says, what are you feeling? He said, I'm, she said, I'm, I feel some a stirring. I feel uh, a heaviness. I feel, I feel a, a power around me. I, I just, I've never experienced anything. What is it? And he began to describe to her the person of Jesus Christ. And there on the ground, she gave her life to Jesus. As we're praying over this girl, that officer, knowing who this girl was, it was, it was so neat to see that officer, her hands right out there as well, recognizing this was a God moment. We went in that night after the, after the service and I invited kids to come forward to get baptized and they'd be coming. I saw those big old 
guys from the juvenile home, I mean, they were taking their shoes off and their socks and they were throwing them in the air and they were getting into the waters and there was tears running down their eyes and that, late, that girl came forward and she got into the waters and got baptized and that officer followed behind her and she herself took off all of her stuff and her shoes and she got into it and got baptized as well. That's the power of God, and that's the power that we must entertain in this day. We don't need a phony, superficial power. It's not about maneuvering and manipulating. It's not about entertaining and trying to, to get people in to, for a show. It's not entertainment. No, what we need is a heaven-sent Holy Spirit power that will fill our lives to such an extent that each one of us individually are carriers of the glory so that wherever we go, we become light and darkness and we seize this moment. It's harvest time in America, and I want to be a part of the righteous remnant that's going to shake America with the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it's the greater glory. And when I speak about that, I'm just simply saying, and I'll end with this. Listen. There is a presence of Jesus that he's everywhere. There's a presence of God that you cannot get away from. It, it's, it's what the early preachers used to call this general presence of God. That you can't escape it. He's as much present in the den of iniquity as he is in the church. That's the general presence of God. If I go ascend to the mountain, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I were to go to the farthest star, God is there. You can't get away from God. That's what Jonah discovered. You cannot escape God. But there's the manifest presence of God. And that's time, those times when it appears and feels that God is more here than he is there. I don't understand it. I just tell you there are times, you know that, where you come into a service and it's heightened. You don't know, you, don't, you might be prone to think, well, that, let's sing that same song tomorrow night. Let's do what we did tonight. It's nothing to do with you and I in that regard. But it's the fact that there is God's movement. He's, he chooses to manifest himself and to reveal himself at certain times in certain ways. That's the manifested presence of God. But there is a cultivated presence of God. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Indicating there's no limit to your soul's capacity to receive of the things of God. You know what that says? suggests to me it's an invitation. I want more. I don't want to rely on yesterday's blessing. I want more of his presence, more of his manifest presence, more of his glory in my life so that in my home, the atmosphere is, is supercharged. And when I go to work and when I go to school, I'm carrying his glory. When, when I'm ministering or talking to people, it's flowing forth through me. I, I want to be, and I'd say to the young people tonight, I'm simply saying, you're the generation that I believe that God's going to use to ignite a spiritual awakening in America. Don't miss this opportunity. It's not that God's not going to use all of us old people. It's just that as I study historic revivals, that it's often fueled by young people. 
And we need young people who are radicals for Jesus, who are totally abandoned to God, that, are, that there's no questioning their allegiance. And while Satan is displaying his wickedness and his evil and the cultural eruption in this day, how much more the church needs to be carriers of the glory, carriers of the power we have in Jesus' name, carriers of the anointing, that we would have the boldness and the courage and the must, we would have enough of the mustering of our courage, of our spirit and say, I'm going to stand for Christ and I will not bend, bow, or give up in this hour. Would you stand with me tonight? As we get ready to sing tonight, with every head bowed and every eye closed, tonight I believe the Holy Spirit is moving up and down the aisles and in between the rows of pews. I believe if our eyes were open tonight, we would see this place filled with angels. I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us about our need for yielding over. Where are you at tonight? Do you have a greater passion than you had yesterday? Is there a greater hunger, a greater fervor? Are you so possessed by the Spirit of God that, that the glory could, you could be a carrier of that glory wherever you go? I think we're going to need it. We're not going to win people in this day by arguments and debating. We're not going to win today by posting cute little things on Facebook and whipping people with our theological jargon. No, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life and my life. So tonight, I'm only asking that you would examine your heart because I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you tonight. Maybe like Jonah, you've been running. Maybe you've gone to the lower depths to escape the call, the mandate. Maybe you've lost the edge of your passion for Christ. And tonight, the Spirit of God is wanting to stir it up again. The Spirit of God is, is, is reaching out to you tonight. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight... No one looking around how many this night would say, Rick, as you were speaking, I felt the Holy Spirit prick my heart and I feel like right now God is stirring my heart that I need more of his manifest presence in my, spirit, in my life. Would you just raise your hand up? Just raise your hand. You need more of his spirit. You want to be an agent that God will use. God bless you. Many hands. Others. Others. More of his spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to win people to Jesus. I want to have a fire. I don't want to be a Jonah running from God. I want to be running... God. Lord, in this hour tonight, I pray that we will respond to your invitation in this sacred moment where we are on holy ground. The hour is late. Jesus is coming soon. And what we do, we must do quickly. We want to win the lost at any cost. Help us, oh God, tonight to fuel the flame by the, by the wind of your spirit. And may we, Lord, be driven to a greater fervency and passion for lost people than never before because we want to be ambassadors in the kingdom of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.